0: Eagles Entertainment.
1: Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Anything that move, I don't of do. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Fran Duffy. That's right of the week. And we're talking about versatile running backs today as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade continues. I'm Fran Duffy. And as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 324. At the top of this week's show, we've got our scouting report where I chat with Ben Fennell about a topic that is near and dear to his heart. And that's running backs in the passing game. And in having this conversation, we're going to look at some of the film of one of the best in the game in doing that. And that's New Orleans Saints running back Alvin Kamara. What traits does he display? And perhaps more importantly, What schemes get him open? We're going to talk all about that and the advantages of having this be a big part of your offense in today's game, all at the top of the show. Before we get there, some housekeeping. First up, I'm going to once again ask you to head on over to Apple Podcasts, throw us your support with a rating and a comment. If you've got a question, if you've got a a request, if you just want to comment, let us know how you like the show so far here, the the, the early parts of this offseason. Now's the time. Jump on and let me know, because guess what? The queue is now empty. I just used the last question. Here we're going to talk about it later in this show. Now's the time. Jump on Apple Podcasts if you want your question heard. Now jump on, we'll get you on the very next show. Appreciate everybody that has done that lately. Also, if you enjoy my chats here with Ben on the show every week, then make sure you got to be subscribed to The Journey to the Draft podcast. You guys might be aware obviously of the big trade that the Eagles made late last week, uh, moving back to 12 overall. Well, we talked about this trade in depth over on The Journey to the Draft podcast myself, Ben Fennel. Dane Brugler. We talked through it all, all the different fallouts from all the different angles. So make sure you go subscribe to the journey to the draft podcast. Greg Cosell will be on later this week, talking about his favorite offensive lineman as well. So you can go find that the journey to the draft podcast, wherever podcasts can be found. All right, enough about journey to the draft. Let's keep Eagle eye in the sky rolling. It's time now to jump into our chat with Ben in scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right. Well, I'm excited for this conversation. Now, as I welcome in Ben Fennel, and Ben, uh, we are going to take a look at all of Alvin Kamara's catches. Or, I'm saying we're going to go. We are going to. We have already gone through all of Alvin Kamara's catches here from the 2020 season. And I, I want to start things off before we get into the film. This is a topic that is near and dear to your heart. You love talking about running backs in the past game, and so I want to ask you right before I read right at the top of the show, why is that such a big topic for you? Why do you feel like that is such an important part of offense in today's modern game?
0: Well, as uh, Steve Sarkeesian so eloquently put it in his clinic last summer, now the head coach, University of Texas, it's the least offended player in the pass game. Yet the running backs are some of the most explosive, dynamic players on your entire roster. There was always this disconnect with involving your running back in the pass game. And there was obviously flashes through history as Bill Walsh used his backs in the past game as kind of a trendsetter. And then obviously the Marshall Falks of the world and some new age running backs, uh, you know, took the NFL by storm. And now dual threat running backs is a very household term. And we see it on almost every team with guys like Alvin Kamara. But conceptually, there's a lot of issues with defending these players out of the backfield. It's very tough to Jan them and disrupt their route running coming out of that backfield position. The coverage is typically already defined uh, as you're then taking four or five steps to get across the line of scrimmage and coverage is typically catching or flat footed against these players coming out of the backfield. So there's a lot of conceptual and philosophical things working against the defense, with just trying to cover these dynamic explosive weapons. So we want to get the ball in their hands in the run game, Let's do it in the pass game as well. And I think when used strategically, you can get some
1: really good production out of these players. Yeah. And there's uh, obviously, there's so many layers to the discussion. And certainly when you have a talent like an Alvin Kamara, uh, that really lends itself to finding some really advantageous matchups for you in the passing game. So uh, we're going to get through all of this, but before we get into our five burning questions, we always like to start too with our stats that matter. I'll let you kick things off. What's a, a number that matters to you in this discussion? Well, there's a couple of things to take in mind. So Alvin Kamara
0: obviously is one of the most dynamic and productive players in making defenders miss. So that also translates in making them miss after the catch. He led the NFL with making defenders miss after the catch by running backs, yet had no fumbles. Which I find to be a very interesting kind of polar. The fact that he's willing to extend plays and try to shake defenders and use contact balance, yet very secure with the football. In fact, only one fumble on 382 career receptions. That's, That's an amazing amount considering how many of those are checkdowns and screens and manufactured yards after catch opportunities where his job is make defenders miss.
1: Yeah, and I had him at, I charted 30 times he made that first man miss uh, on 92 catches. So like a third of his catches, he's making somebody miss. And and that kind of speaks to that.
0: Yeah, and I think the depth in which he's catching these passes is reflective of that usage. His average depth of target this past year was 0.7 yards. Yep. Under one yard past the line of scrimmage. That's just so reflective of the checkdowns, the screens, The minus action, which is action in the backfield before you cross the line of scrimmage and just trying to get him the ball on swing routes and things like that out to the bubble. Um, But it's really interesting. And I think the conversation around running backs has dramatically evolved over the last five, six, seven years. And we used to think that was a dying position. You don't draft them high um, with high draft capital in the draft. You don't pay them second contracts. You don't pay veterans. And that's all kind of evolved now to who's a dual threat back. You pay dual threat backs, you draft dual threat backs early And this 2017 class. is really interesting because Dalvin cook, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, Joe Mixon, Aaron Jones have all been given that second contract in this same class. What do they all do very well contributed in the past game. So I think that's where, and who is the first running back taken off the board in 2017? Leonard Fournette with the fourth overall pick. somebody that isn't viewed as a dual threat contributor. yet he's the one that just got a Super Bowl with the Tampa Bay Bucks, X, y, and Z. but right. the conversation has now shifted to pay running backs, but pay the right ones and the right ones are the ones that contribute
1: in the pass game. So uh, to your point about that average depth of target, 87 of his 92 target or 90, 92 catches uh, from this year, came within five yards of the line of scrimmage that I charted. 37 of them came behind the line. So, again, uh, just speaking to your average depth of target, only five of his catches came deeper than five yards down the field. So, not a lot of vertical routes, not a lot of sail routes and things like that. We saw a handful of wheels, but uh, that was it uh, from Alvin Kamara this year uh, in terms of his catches. Um, One other thing I thought was interesting and just kind of charting where he aligned on these catches, again, 92 total, 77 of them. Came with him in the backfield as a running back. Only ten in the slot, just five of them outside the numbers. So I thought that was also uh, kind of interesting as well. And we always yeah really
0: not used as like a matchup weapon. He wasn't that wasn't his usage in the offense, despite being this perceived dynamic weapon in the pass game. But it's how they use him in the pass game that taps into his skill set.
1: No question. And and then the one last part part of it. And again, I think this kind of speaks to that is, you know, I think we, we think of Alvin Kamara and we, we talk about pre-snap motion and all that stuff all, all the time. Only seven of those targets came with him in pre-snap motion, like everything else. He was a stationary player, uh, before the snap. And I I thought that was interesting as well.
0: Yeah. And with all these backs being paid in this 2017 class, that also doesn't mean we paid them. They're the guy. Let's run them into the ground and give them high volume touches. And I think Alvin Kamara, you just see how smart he is on the field. You know, he can make defenders miss, but he knows when the play is done. He knows when to get out, knows how to preserve himself. And he's always had a backfield mate, whether it's Mark Ingram early on or Latavius Murray now. The way Sean Payton, I think, balances his workload gets the most out of Alvin Kamara. So even though they gave him that second contract or Aaron Jones gets the second contract or Christian McCaffrey, don't just, you know, pile the workload on them. Find a way to preserve them. And get the most out of their ability. So I like the fact that he still has backfield mates and is kind of sharing some production.
1: Hell, I mean, go back to Tennessee and Jalen Hurd. Right? You're always trying to try to try to pair him up exactly uh, with somebody who <laughs> could be the thunder aspect of that offense. So uh, all right, let's get into our five burning questions. And as always, we start things off with our biggest takeaway. So I'll let you go first. What was your biggest takeaway watching all these catches?
0: Well, just the conceptual usage and getting the ball into his hands. There was a high volume of checkdowns and option routes where you're just kind of preying off of uh, the defensive leverage. And when those are thrown on time and accurately, it gives that player a chance to make a play, which we saw quite often. The other thing is the high volume of screens, which obviously puts that player in a advantageous position to be successful and to use his skill set. But it also keeps the pass rush incredibly off balance, keeps them guessing. And in combination with getting that weapon in space and keeping the rush at bay, it just felt like a very unpredictable pass game that you never really knew where the ball was going, but you knew it was coming out. You knew it was coming out quick. Um, So the pass rush, I found to be a very frustrating defensive approach because you can't get to breeze because he gets the ball out and then they run so many screens. They kind of take you off your game in a conceptual sense. So I just felt very off balance from a defensive line perspective in trying to anticipate the action of Alvin Kamara.
1: 29 screens uh, on on those targets. I mean, again, you're talking about 29 out of 92. That's roughly a third. Uh, that's a lot of screens <laughs> to, to, to Alvin Kamara and they came from different spots too. You know, we talked about the alignment, but if he was lined up outside the numbers, there was a lot of jailbreak screens. You saw some bubble screens with him in the slot on RPO kind of looks. So, uh, you know, a lot in the screen game, certainly, uh, with him. And then also to your point, a lot of checkdowns. and, you know, that was one thing that stood out to me just watching the, the offense in general. And my biggest takeaway I thought the spacing of the pass game was just so, so impressive. And that's always been the case when you look at Sean Payton and Drew Brees since they've been together, all the different ways that they put stress on defenses. And, you know, there was always like, oh, the three-level stretch concepts, touchdown to check down, right? They're, they're going to have threats at all three levels. Uh, Drew Brees is going to sit back and, and be an assassin back there. Obviously, as his health diminished down the stretch over the last two, three years, uh, the big plays over the top have also waned. So that being said, you know, it would go from a, all right, maybe it's not touchdown to check down. Maybe it's going to be a, we're going to work check down to intermediate route. And we're just going to get the ball out as fast as possible. And I think when you saw a processor like Drew Brees back there, I mean, there were often times where, you know, let's say it's a, a scat protection. So it's five man protection, which means you've got five receivers going out in the route. Alvin Kamara releases to the left three man side. He'd work to the Drew Brees would start to his right and he'd go, okay, one to two on his right side and immediately see, uh, this isn't going to work, I'm getting all the way back to Kamara on the backside. Like, go immediately from the far right to the far left, knowing, yeah, I've got Alvin Kamara in the flat, and I want to get it to him fast so he can start working upfield. I thought that the just overall, the uh, amount of grass that the Saints force you to cover, I thought that really impressed me as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think Sean Payton just does a really good job but of- formational space and making sure the defense has to cover as much grass as possible, which obviously then stresses the, you know, defensive leverage and the ability just to cover all these weapons can't cover everything. Can't cover every inch left to right and deep. And, uh, you know, you have to really kind of pick your poison with the saints offense.
1: Uh, Getting to our second question, here, favorite play concept. There were a bunch of plays that were repetitive here that we saw uh, over and over and over again. We talked about the amount of screens, but did you have a favorite play concept uh, that we saw from uh, on film from all these catches?
0: Yeah, you just know how much of a fan I am of easy offense. Don't make it difficult to get the ball into the hands of your best players. And one of my favorite concepts was kind of a lead jet action where he's not aligned up in the backfield. I think it's Latavius Murray in the backfield. Kamara is on the backside, number three in trips. He comes in jet motion. It's about a six-inch pass from Drew Brees. He literally throws it in front of him for about a foot. Kamara catches it on the move with speed. The backfield Murray in the backfield, lined up in the shotgun, is then the lead blocker, ends up being a 14-yard touchdown. So essentially, it's a two-back personnel, but Kamara's lined up number three in trips very high percentage completion as it's a, literally a one foot pass and you get Kamara in space on the move with a lead blocker stretching a defense horizontally, easy, easy offense. Don't make it so hard to get these weapons to the ball. So I love just seeing easy manufactured offense.
1: It was uh it was Drew Brees. That was the game that he came back uh, into the lineup. So uh, I could call uh, on your part. So my, my favorite was a play that we saw Really throughout the season, and it was more when Drew Brees was in the game. We'll talk about uh how the offense did change a little bit uh when Brees was out of the lineup. But uh it was a, a concept we saw early in the season, we saw it late. And you and I refer to this as like a, a follow concept where basically they and they did a lot of this. We talk about this every time the Eagles prepare to play the Saints here on the show. Is that uh they love lining up uh basically it would typically it would be a receiver that like Michael Thomas as the ex-receiver backside of trips and have Alvin Kamara to the side to that side. So you've got Michael Thomas and Kamara to that side of the formation, three receivers on the other side. As a defense, that could be very tough to match up to from a uh, you know from a personnel standpoint because you've got two dynamic weapons, two you know big time pass catchers on one side of the field. And so, uh, what you typically would see when they would line up that way would basically get the receiver running like a shallow crossing route, a, a quick in breaking route. Again, taking coverage away, whether it's underneath zone, if it's a linebacker patrolling the middle of the field, you're bringing him closer to the middle, or if it was man-to-man coverage, you're just getting a a defender out of there, and now you're just running Alvin Kamara right into that void, and he would just kind of sit down. It would be like a little option route where he would just kind of settle in underneath, quick, easy throw, get the ball out of the quarterback's hand fast, and let him try and create, and he would just kind of drop-step and get upfield yeah, maybe they would go for six yards, seven yards, but you get first and ten, and now it's six, it's second and three off a little dump-off throw. You saw that time and time and time again, just quick, easy completions, and it kind of spoke to, again, we saw so much soft zone coverage for the running back, for Kamara on these catches, and for a lot of reasons, I think you know when you look at the the formation variation, the way that they line up, they do a lots of different things. Obviously, a lot of speed on the field, all the different pieces. There's a lot of reasons why, and they play a lot of teams. You know, teams are playing a lot of zone coverage, things that you and I have talked about here all off season. But I think when you look at Kamara uh, and that matchup of the running back coming out of the backfield, if you are a zone coverage defender, there are a lot of reasons why you're in trouble. You're not trying to get beat over the top. That's that that threat is always there with Kamara. So. You're gonna give up that catch underneath, and now you've got six, seven yards on first down. And that was a winner for them time and time and time again.
0: Yeah, I think it's really interesting to kind of assess the different veteran quarterback play throughout the NFL. We know Drew Brees is the most accurate quarterback in NFL history. We've seen him thread the needle on more times than not, uh, you know, throughout his career. But the percentage of high, you know, high percentage throws that he attempts, there isn't very much hero ball with Drew Brees. And what I call hero hero ball is traditionally straight drop back pass game with very little manufactured help in the offense to complete the pass. This is very much what Tom Brady ran in Tampa Bay. It's not a quarterback friendly system. We call it hero ball because it's so low percentage and it's very stressful on the quarterback. And while, you know, Drew Brees is getting the ball on time in rhythm in structure just like Brady and just like Manning and rivers and all those other aging quarterbacks breeze takes the high percentage throw mm. so many times. And so often that's Alvin Kamara, you know, on these checkdowns. and it's just really interesting to see how rarely drew breeze is trying to fit these tight window throws in let's find the easy completion and then go from there. And I think more often than not, he finds that vulnerability in the defense to make an easy throw.
1: And the reason why that you know can turn into such an easy throw is I mentioned you've got that threat always that while he wasn't always used downfield at any point, yeah, he, he could turn it on and now it's a wheel route or it's some kind of vertical route, a sail route down the sideline. So I think when you look at my, my favorite individual play uh, kind of plays into that, it was a game mid-season against the LA Chargers. It was a 28-yard catch, and it came from one of those sets that we were looking at, one of those reduced formations where it was a, a three-by-one set. You had a receiver to the right. You had Alvin Kamara to the right in the shotgun next to the quarterback, Drew Brees. You had three receivers on the opposite side, and the outside linebacker for the Chargers, he gives Kamara a little bit of a bump. I love that Kamara fought through the contact there, maintained his stem uh, on the route, releases upfield, and essentially, look, it was it was zone coverage, but as we know, A lot of times zone can refer, uh, can, can revert to a man concept down the field. And so essentially he got matched up on a strong safety in what was again, essentially man to man coverage. It's a great throw. It was a a jump ball and Kamara climbs the ladder, goes up top, wins at the catch point, gets both feet inbounds along the sideline. Uh, So not only do you see him fight through contact, you see the ball skills, the competitiveness, outstanding job finishing at the catch point. But I also love just the the matchup capabilities there uh, with Kamara to the boundary. And I think ultimately uh, that's the threat that, the, you know, if you're an underneath zone defender, whether you're a strong safety, whether you're a nickel corner, whether you're a linebacker, you're trying to prevent that from happening uh, over and over again. And so that might be why you're okay with those little uh, dump-off passes, with those little check downs, with those little option routes. If you're willing to say, all right, well, we don't want to give up the X play, but we'll, we'll sit down and try and rally and tackle uh, on the quick throw.
0: Yeah, I think that was one of the rare uh, contested catches or difficult catches Kamara had to make. It's nice to know he could still do that for you. So my favorite individual play is kind of on the other end of the spectrum of easy completions early in the season, week two against the Raiders early in the game, first and 10, very vanilla offensive concept, very vanilla defense zone coverage. The defense lifts with the, Initial routes of the slots and the tight ends. The second level sinks deep as they're getting depth, those linebackers. Drew Brees finds that check down accurately on time, and gives Kamara a chance to catch the ball, turn around, eye up the defender, make the defender miss, and that's at about four or five yards, and scamper for another 15, 20 yards on a check down on first down. Nothing exotic, nothing... Um, You know, eye candy misdirection other than a quarterback finding the vulnerability in the defense, which is quite often underneath, but getting to it on time and accurately gave Kamara a chance to make a play. And that to a T is the Saints offense and how
1: Kamara has been so productive as a pass catcher. So let's talk through this now for the next one because I think that's a, a good segue into the fourth one. If you are a, uh, a fantasy football player and if you had Alvin Kamara on your fantasy team uh, this year, you would maybe be a little bit unhappy with how things unfolded after Drew Brees got hurt because his, uh, especially if you're in a like a point perception league, his production tailspin. I, uh, you, they, they really plummeted because he was not featured in the past game as often with Taysom Hill in the lineup. And to me, uh, but let's talk through this a little bit. You talked about how quickly drew Brees had to be able to process, get through things and get the ball out on time to Kamara so that he could make, you know, make plays with the ball in his hands. Taysom Hill Isn't that quarterback at this point, He's a very inexperienced player. Uh, so was not able to do that from a mental standpoint. And also uh, if you were to look at the, all the different traits for a quarterback uh, touch, would be at the bottom of the list for Taysom Hill. He, he's not the best underneath thrower of the football. So, uh, you know, they, they got away from, um, you know, some of those check down plays where they were kind of, get, you know, getting, them ball, getting him the ball fast, and he just wasn't getting there uh, on those check downs as often. So I think when you look at uh, what happened there from the transition from Drew Brees to Taysom Hill and back, I think that kind of points to uh, that lack of production there mid-season for Kamara.
0: Yeah, and I think the, just uh, to hone this back in, there's pros and cons to it. And the young quarterbacks, typically more mobile, more athletic, the ability to extend the play through athleticism. That's the pro of being a young quarterback. The pro of being older quarterback, you know what you're looking at. You can read defenses faster. You go through progressions faster, but the downside is you don't have the foot speed, the athleticism to extend the play and I got news for you. They probably have no desire to hang on to the ball, and take hits in that pocket either. They Russell, know preserv- Russell Wilson
1: has never been big with throwing the ball to the back. Deshaun Watson has never been big on throwing the ball to the back. Lamar Jackson has not been big on throwing the ball to the back. Josh Allen has not been big on throwing the ball to the back. Like time and time again, you look at the, the young athletic quarterbacks it goes exactly to your point. And I got news for you. Aaron Rodgers was never a
0: fan of the check down under yeah, Mike McCarthy great. and it's You know, it's just interesting to see him change his style philosophically of saying instead of running for four or five yards late in the down or late in the progression, let me just dump it off to Aaron Jones and let him do the dirty work. And suddenly Aaron Rodgers is healthy and playing in an MVP season. And that's why I kind of tongue in cheek have called him an elite game manager, just like Drew Brees is an elite game manager. Phillip Rivers was an elite game manager. That's not a negative.
1: You know who wants a game manager? Everybody. Everyone, <laughs> It's not a negative. Yeah. <laughs> um, So let, let me ask you this question, because now obviously Drew Brees is retired. Uh, how does that impact Kamara moving forward? I mean, do you feel like, uh, you know, it, we, we don't know what the quarterback situation is going to look like, if it's going to be Jameis, if it's going to be Taysom Hill, if it's going to be somebody else, uh, you know, if they find a way to take somebody in the draft, I kind of wonder like, all right, if you want to try and utilize Kamara more in the pass game, you they've got to be able to structure more uh, from a, from a, a past game concept standpoint, you're, you you can not rely on Taysom Hill getting down to the check down, uh, over and over and over again. I kind of wonder if they'll change some things schematically with trying to get Kamara the football in space.
0: Well, you know, I kind of like to package this in a much more general terms, whether what it's what the Saints are going to be going through in 2021 with Jameis Taysom or another quarterback or um, what the Colts are going to be going through transitioning from Phillip Rivers to Carson Wentz or what the Bucs and Steelers are going to be going through when they move on from their aging quarterbacks. You're going to lose some timing, rhythm, accuracy, um, general kind of structure of the offense. But with the transition to younger players, you're probably going to get more plays created out of structure, improvisationally. Second reaction may also open up some more conceptual concepts in the playbook to maybe move the pocket. Um, and these are some things we've discussed about the transition of going from Philip Rivers to Carson Wentz. You know, they're going to struggle with some timing, rhythm, accuracy stuff that Rivers was exceptional with but Wentz is going to bring some athleticism and some more uh, schematic flexibility with his youth and, you know, mobility. So I think the saints are going to be in that similar conversation of, we're going to have some growing pains with the timing rhythm of the offense. But I think we're going to make a couple more plays, you know, second reaction elite in the down, as we see a lot of, young quarterbacks excelling with, whether it's, you know, Mahomes or Lamar or Josh Allen or whoever, you know, young quarterbacks in there. So I think it's just going to be kind of a changing offensive approach, which
1: is exciting and it's scary. Yeah, no, no question. I think it's going to be uh, really interesting to kind of watch that uh here moving forward. And then as always, we always like to bring this conversation back into an NFL draft focus. And every year with the NFL draft, we talk about running backs and projecting them to the league. And, you know, we look at guys that have that experience catching the ball out of the backfield. And that's a big plus. There are also guys every single year who don't have that experience. They were not featured in the past game all that often. So uh, the way I, I want to ask you this, with when you have guys like last year, it was Jonathan Taylor, right? He was just not, he was not, I think he had like eight career catches or something like that. So, you know, something silly like that uh, in terms of his overall usage in the pass game. And, and this year, I mean, I would say you look at Travis Etienne, one big reason why he went back to school, and he has said this, is that he wanted to prove himself as a pass catcher. He had only had uh, a handful of catches uh, before this past year, and then you know he had a bunch uh, this year as a senior. And there are guys every year. Javante Williams from North Carolina might be the best back in this draft, uh, but has not been a heavily used receiver. He had 25 catches uh, this past season. When you look at those kind of guys, what kind of goes through your mind? Do you have a preference on seeing the guys that have done it, or is it like, all right, you know, how do you how do you handle that in terms of your projection?
0: Well, I think we always feel more comfortable when we had experience or somebody that's done the role uh, to forecast and project. Obviously, uncharted ground is less desired than, you know, experience and repetition of something. But it's really important just to differentiate what they do well as an athlete and as a playmaker on the football field. What is their skill set? How do we tap into that? How do we put you in a position to be successful to use that skill set? If your skill set in you know, one of your attributes is making defenders miss in space, that's a great trait. We can use that in the underneath pass game. That was something Kamara excelled with at the University of Tennessee, making defenders miss, short area burst. Now, where, is, where are there some flaws in this? Unnatural hands. So there's going to be some issues if I'm talking about players that we haven't seen before do this. So a player that maybe wasn't involved in the pass game like Jonathan Taylor. Now, not having natural hands will hurt his ability to do this. So we just need to figure out if he could catch the ball naturally. But the interesting thing is in college, it's very rare to have to get yourself open. Right. It's very rare in the college pass game to run routes for separation. That is a very, very rare skill set and a very rare usage to find on Saturdays. So there's always going to be a little bit of growing pains going to the NFL having to run routes to separate against man coverage. But like we saw Alvin Kamara, so many screens, so many checkdowns, so many lift coverages, so much underneath zone, where all I needed to do was throw him a dump off and make sure he could catch the ball and then use your skill set. Um, so I think it's really important just to figure out what do they do really well? What is their skill set? What are those traits? And then how do we put them in positions on the field to tap into that? Uh, when you look at Jonathan Taylor, another guy, excels in space, contact balance, elusive. We just weren't sure about his hands. Um, and once we found out he could catch the ball okay, he's a great option in, in the underneath pass game to get him the ball for those reasons.
1: Uh, and then the the other aspect of that, too, just speaking of th- this draft in particular, it's going to be tough for teams, is that you know the private workouts and the combine, they can be such big parts of the equation uh, for trying to find out if a guy can, uh, you know, can transition to be more of a pass catcher. Oh, you know, well, let's have him run uh, the full route tree. Let's kind of put him through the gamut there. Uh, you don't have those this year. You've got the pro days, but that's it. And so uh, without having those private workouts, uh, I do wonder uh, how that will impact guys that haven't been able to prove that in college level.
0: And what's your perspective as we're getting some of these pro day metrics, measurables, testing numbers in, we're always so intrigued with the running back position. But there's this always collective kind of disappointment when we see these four five fives and four six running backs on pro days and the combine, yet be incredibly productive at the next level. And whether it's the exciting Demetric Felton at UCLA or the North Carolina kids tested four five five, or I'm looking at Alvin Kamara's four five six right in front of me, or Aaron Jones being a four five nine type of guy. What is it about this running back spot that? You don't have to be a four-three, four-four, explosive, linear athlete to be a really
1: good running back at the next level. Well, I think it's a lot of it has to do with the fact that you don't need to that that long speed is probably at the bottom of the list in terms of the important athletic traits for a running back. And I know I was looking like who are the guys that have run sub four-four, right? So the number, the names that would be like, oh man, like this is this is big time here. Let me just run through these names, and I'm going to speed through because there's a bunch of them. All right. Dree Archer, Keith Marshall, Kenyon Drake that's a good player. Jonathan Taylor last year, a good player. Michael Smith, Taiwan Jones, Antonio Gibson last year, TJ Logan, D'Anthony Thomas, Darius Jackson, Jarek McKinnon, Kyle Muhammad, Chris Rainey, Tyler Irvin, Darrell Henderson, Leif Seastrunk, Kareth White, Niall Davis, Tony Pollard, Naheem Hines, Tariq Cohen, Latavius Murray ran 438. Uh, Bernard Pierce, Darrell Scott, Raymond Kalas, Kenyon Barner. Like, not a lot of guys in that list turned out to be. Very good players. Like I don't know if I named one elite player. I think that Jonathan Taylor is kind of on that track to be a foundation back, but no one in that group you would say, oh yeah, this guy is more than a, a rotational back. And was Saquon in there? No, Saquon low four fours. Yeah, he was low four fours, which was insane at his side. Those tree trunk Yeah, he yeah. was at he was at four four one at two thirty three. God. Which is heavier than any of these other backs that I just listed. By the way, I think the la- the highest I can see is Niall Davis was two twenty seven. He was a freak show at, Ar- at Arkansas. But like that's the thing. But then you 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 start going further down the list. Like, all right, I'm I'm kind of scrolling down here. Who are the guys that are in the the four five you know four five plus? And uh, you start going down, and it's like, all right, like that's where uh, the cream hunts, and that's where like Josh Jacobs ran four five four, and uh, you know Doug Martin was a you know a, a feature back for years and years, and he ran four five five, like. Zeke Elliott wasn't a, wasn't a big-time back in terms of the, the overall 40. Alvin Kamara ran 4.56. Aaron Jones ran 4.56. Like, over and over and over, you see, like, the the guys that turn into the big-time backs, the feature backs in the NFL, the long speed isn't important. You start getting into the shuttles, that can be important. You start getting into the explosive numbers, where whether that's broad. Uh, that could be, uh, a lot of people will look at that as a way to kind of translate uh, a guy's power. Uh, the 10-yard split, same thing. You're looking at explosive short-area burst, that, that that violent power uh, that a guy has. So. To me, like those are the drills that necessarily matter. But the forty time, uh, I think that matters less and less, especially at the running back position in particular.
0: You know, when I watch Kamara, you know, uh, I keep referencing the Steve Sarkeesian clinic, which was fantastic last summer, and he stressed the desire to get his skill players the ball on the move. Right. And Alvin Kamara, we saw so often catching it in a static sense. Yep. A lot of option routes where yep. he's just standing there and turning around, or little curls, or checkdowns, and sit routes. To the point that I'm starting to really value the ability to start-stop. The ability to catch the ball and get out of that spot. Catch it, pick your feet up, and get out of that foam booth. Mm -hmm. That's the trait. That's the skill set. You don't get to use 4-3 speed there. You have to use the start-stop. The ability to catch it and get out of that spot, I think, is so important. And whether you want to call that the... 10 yard split in the 40, just starting whether it's the short shuttle going left and right, starting and stopping. Um, there's a lot of different measurables and metrics to kind of peel some layers back to that, but Kamara in his rarity and catching it on the move, he had to be able to start stop so well. So when we look at all these four, five and four, six running backs that don't have the long speed, most of them can start stop exceptionally well.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's a, when you're talking about players, that are trying to play in a phone booth. Uh, that trait, uh, can be so, so important. Uh, last thing, and we always try and bring this back just to an Eagles kind of spin here. Right. And look, I think when you go back, we, we've studied a lot of Colts tape this off season. We've talked about how they've used Naheem Hines, right? We've studied a lot of chargers tape, you know, so where Shane Steichen, and the offensive coordinator comes from how they've used Austin Eckler in the past game two high volume targets as pass catchers. Uh, These are things we could potentially see here this fall with Miles Sanders, with Boston Scott, with other Eagles running backs. Obviously, that was something we saw two years ago with Sanders. There was like, oh, man, we we got so excited. We saw all of the the vertical routes with Miles Sanders, whether they were sail routes or uh, routes down the seam, down the rail. We didn't quite see those here in 2020, and he also struggled. He had some drops. Uh, The quarterbacks had trouble connecting with him as well, so you just had a a lot of inconsistency in the pass game. And I'm excited to see what that will look like here uh, this fall, considering the coaching staff.
0: You know, that was one of my collective disappointments with the Eagles offense last year was just their inability to complete those high percentage throws underneath, whether it was obviously, you know, inaccuracy from the quarterback, throwing off platform, running backs dropping the ball, X, Y, Z, ABC reasons. You have to complete those plays. And when we're talking about easy offense, easy completions, high percentage throws, this is what we're talking about. You have to be able to complete these subconsciously and blindfolded, and you have to be able to throw them and catch them subconsciously. So I hope moving forward with this Eagles offense now under, you know, Nick Sirianni, that these become those back pocket plays that when the defense sinks, it's one to two to three, there's my outlet Make somebody miss Miles Sanders. And, you know, that should be an exciting proposition of saying, hey, you want to play deep and protect our explosive weapons? That's okay. We're going to find the check down, get it on time and accurately. And we're going to let some of those weapons make some plays, too. And I just felt like those weren't converted nearly. Uh, enough at a higher clip last year. And I'm looking forward to kind of
1: improving that and uh, making that kind of a fixture of the offense. I mean, you look at both of those guys, obviously Sanders and Scott have that skill set, but even um, you know a guy like Adrian Killens, uh, who we saw very briefly uh, with on the, the active roster here this year, but that was kind of his skill set coming out of UCF a year ago, right? Was that he had those dynamic playmaking qualities. And I kind of wonder if they can view him in that same kind of role. We'll see how this all shakes out here uh, this, this summer. Uh, but I'm excited about what that can look like here, uh, moving forward into the fall. All right. And one last left field thought here,
0: as okay. we're going through pro days and everybody in Eagles world, looking at some of these playmakers, you know, one of the most explosive playmakers, Rondell Moore measured mm. in at five, seven last week. And right. if people said, well, five, seven, that's a little short. And my response said, give them a running back number, put them in the backfield. Are you allowed to catch passes from back there? I don't believe that's against the rules. No, I don't believe so either. And I think uh, that would be somebody where I don't want him to face a lot of press coverage. I don't want him getting jammed. I want him just getting the ball and manufactured touches. It's okay to be five, seven um, and be you know categorized as they running back in my opinion, because we see running backs contribute in the pass game all over the place. And I think this draft has a lot of intriguing players in that category, whether it's, you know, the Dimitri Felton's or the Kenneth Gainwell's of the world or, you know, the top tier guys like, you know, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. I just think it's a really interesting crop of running backs. And everybody is looking forward to saying, yeah, that's great on first and second down. But what do you do in the pass game? And it's just great that all these lovers of a draft are now reflecting that forward when looking at these running back prospects. It's
1: a uh, it's a a really fun conversation. It's a fun aspect of the game to study just to see all the various ways that teams are able to get their guys the ball out in space. Well, Ben, uh, this has been fun. I think next week, I think what I'd like to do. So already we've studied Justin Herbert and obviously that had a tie in uh, to the Eagles with Shane Steichen. I'd like to do some studies on some of these other young quarterbacks. Obviously we love talking about the quarterback position um, and that's going to be a big thing here uh, with the Eagles moving forward. I'm, I think w- maybe one week we study uh, what Jalen Hurts looked like as a rookie, small sample size. Let's take a look at Tua Tonga Uh He had a small sample size this year. I want to take a look at Tua and, and how he looked as a rookie. Joe Burrow small sample size, obviously before his injury. Uh, let's take a look at what all these guys look like. Maybe we'll do that over the course uh, of the next few weeks, but uh, we'll keep things going here. I'm excited to keep talking here on our scouting reports on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. Great stuff from Ben who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do at Ben Fennell underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XO's. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's nose content that we produce here at Eagles Entertainment. You know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this show on all forms of social media. That's one way to support the podcast, but the other way is to go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating and leave us a comment. I want to give a shout-out today to someone who did exactly that. Michael J. InfoMan PA left a five-star review saying that thanks for a great job of trying to maintain interest in the Eagles in the offseason. I watched film on Anthony Harris for his last five games and agree he is a very sound player. I only saw one play where he was burned for a deep touchdown pass. Otherwise, he played his too high role very well. Did it seem to you that opposing quarterbacks avoided throwing in his direction? It seemed like he had a few opportunities to make plays on the ball throughout those final five games. That's a great sign and I'm looking forward to the Virginia duo being a mainstay in the Eagles backfield in 2021. Obviously referencing there uh, Rodney McLeod so uh, Michael that's a good question and to me I don't know if it was necessarily this isn't to take anything away from Harris I don't know that it was Oh man we got to keep the ball away from Harris as much it was uh, looking at some of the, the other pieces of that Minnesota secondary because keep in mind they had a lot of turnover going into last year in that secondary they lost their top three corners Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander all left in free agency last offseason. So they're bringing in a lot of young players. They had some rookies playing. They had some first-year starters. So it was a uh, it was a rough going on the back end. They had more injuries and opt-outs on the defensive front as well. They tried trading for Yannick Ngakwe. That didn't go well. They, they just had a lot of moving parts on defense last year, and that resulted in a lot of big plays. And obviously, people preyed on that young secondary, particularly at the cornerback spot. So I think that's why the production was a little bit lower than what you had seen from Anthony Harris the year before, where he was one of the leaders in interceptions in the entire NFL. We talked through his entire skill set and what we saw from him on film uh, last week, right here on this episode, on the scouting report episode of the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. So go back, make sure you go check that out wherever podcast We found great question there um, from Michael J. Infoman. Again, the the queue is now empty. So if you've got a question, now's the time. Jump on Apple Podcasts jump on a stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. We'll get to you here next week. Thanks so much to Michael. And thank you to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here at Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Duffy House, I am Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week. Hi, I'm Fran Duffy, host of the Journey to the Draft podcast, where every week we're going through scouting reports, big boards, mock drafts, and figuring out how prospects transition to the NFL. Listen to the Journey to the Draft podcast wherever podcasts can be found.